Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just once again, just thanking you for the privilege of being in your house. Thanking you for the privilege to worship you, Father. Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that, that it will be all of our prayers and all of our hearts' cries this morning that we come before you asking, here we are, send us. Father, send us to the nations to present the good news of salvation to those that we come in contact with. Send us across this great country to present the good news of salvation to those that we come in contact with. Lord, send us across this state and across this county and throughout these cities preaching the good news of salvation amongst those that we come in contact with. Father, we love you. And we're just amazed that you allow us the opportunity and the privilege to be a part of of the Great Commission. To be a part of being able to share the good news of salvation with those that we come in contact with. Father, we pray that you'll give us opportunities to do that. And Father, may we do it with boldness and unapologetically. Father, we love you and we thank you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, our title is this, Who Made You Judge? Have you ever said that? Or have you ever had that thrown in your face, who made you judge? Um, I've come across a couple of pictures online. Um, The first one is this, before you judge me, make sure you're perfect. Like this one, don't judge, just love. That's kind of what the, the world wants us to do. Don't judge, just love. And my favorite one is the pot calling the kettle black. Who are you to judge? You know, since the beginning of time, people have been asking that question. Who made you judge? In Exodus, we read the story of how Moses came to the defense of a Hebrew who was being beaten and abused by an Egyptian. Moses was not going to stand by and watch this injustice as it unfolded. So what did Moses do? Moses killed that Egyptian. Thinking that he had not been seen, he, he, he digs a hole and he buries that Egyptian in the sand. The next day, Moses is out walking about and he notices two Hebrew brothers that are fighting. And he goes up to the two of them and to the aggressor. He, he asks them the the, the question, why did you wrongly um, strike your companion? And this companion, this man said this in Exodus 2.14. He said, who made you a prince and a judge over us? You know, that's most people's reaction whenever you con- or I confront them. How many of you in this room like to be judged by other people? Raise your hands. How many of you like to dispense judgment toward other people? Raise your hands. Probably more of us like to do that. I mean, that's me. In fact, I'm pretty good at judging other people. I have to admit, that's something I'm going to boast about. I'm really good at this, as most of you in this room also are really good at judging other people. Where we're not good is whenever people judge us. That's whenever we kind of... um, we, we, we get on the defensive at that time. Judging others is, is, a, is a sensitive issue that I want us to walk through together this morning. This morning, we're going to be looking at one of the most popular passages of Scripture in all of the Bible. It also happens to be one of the most misinterpreted passages of Scripture in all of the Bible as well. Matthew 7, 1 says this, Judge not 
that you be not judged. All of us have quoted that or a version of it, or we've had that thrown in our face as believers or just doing life with people throughout our our weeks or our days or our lives. When it comes to judging, I want us to see this morning, hypocrisy is the problem. It is not judgment. Hypocrisy is the problem. It is not judgment. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin reading together in verse 1, and we'll, we'll go through verse 12 together. It says this, beginning in verse 1, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks him for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good good, good gifts to who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him. Verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Notice point number one this morning, it's this, judge with discernment. When it comes to judgment, I think this is a very important statement for all of us this this morning, that we need to judge carefully. When you and I pass judgment, we need to do it biblically and we need to do it very carefully so that we do not pass judgment upon others like the hypocrites did. The hypocrites or the Pharisees looked down on other people and they had a real superiority complex is what they had. They thought they were above the law. They thought they were better than the law. In fact, they added to the law. And not only did they force people to keep the law, but they also forced people to keep their own law. And that's what made them hypocrites. You may be thinking to yourself this morning that there is never a time when you and I should pass judgment upon another person. Because didn't Jesus himself say, he who is without sin should cast the first stone? Yes, Jesus did say that. But notice what else he said in Matthew chapter 18. Verses 15 through 17, we read this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Church discipline. None of us like it. None of us like Um, hopefully none of us have ever had somebody come to us and practice church discipline. And I really pray that you've never had to yourself go to another and practice church discipline. But it is a 
biblical thing that we are to do. If we have, if we notice somebody in this church that, um, that because of their sin, it's jeopardizing the witness of this church, we are to go to that person and we are to confront that person. If that person chooses not to listen, then what does Scripture say? We are to take two or three other people with us to go and to confront that person. If that person still chooses not to repent, what are we to do? Scripture says that we are then to bring them before the church, and if they choose once again not to repent, what are we to do? We are to revoke their membership. That's not what I said. That is what Scripture tells us to do here. You may say, well, that is the craziest thing that I have ever heard in my life. Are we not supposed to be loving? Are we not supposed to extend forgiveness to other people and grace to other people? The church is supposed to be loving and encouraging and welcome sinners in with open arms, aren't we? We are absolutely to do that. We are to welcome the lost in and show them the love of Jesus. But for a believer, we are to remind them that when they trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, they made a commitment at that moment in time that they were going to live righteous and holy lives. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, as we have walked through over the past several months, Jesus said this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And then regarding righteousness, Jesus said in Matthew five twenty, he said, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven. You and I have been set apart and given a different standard of living as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Holiness and righteousness is what you and I have been called to. 2 Corinthians 5.17, all of us probably know that by heart because I quote it so frequently up here. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. When you and I placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we became a new creation. We became individuals that were set apart unto holiness and unto righteousness. And so as believers in this room, we have a responsibility to encourage one another to live holy and righteous lives. We are to do it in a loving way, in an encouraging way, but we are to practice it. And not only that, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, even though it's hard, we need to receive correction as well. In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, we read this. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, referring to God the Father, disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Notice our first sub-point this morning is this, the judge's warning. 
Verse 1 again says, judge not that you be not judged. If you and I were to just read this passage of Scripture and not the full text in its full context, we would all come to the conclusion that we are not to judge other people. In fact, that is exactly what the world has done with this particular passage of Scripture. They have used this verse and have thrown it into the church's face and Christians' face because they think this verse gives them a personal pass for their wickedness. This verse does not give them such a pass. This passage does not do that. When we read verse 1 and 2 together, we are able to see our role as believers when it comes to proper judgment. Judge not that you be not judged. Verse 2 says, for with the judgment you pronounce, with the judgment that we pronounce to other people, notice what it says, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Folks, God's word never teaches tolerance when it comes to righteousness. You and I as believers have a responsibility to teach right doctrine and uh, to fellow believers and to those outside of the church. Yes, Jesus is the ultimate judge. It will be Jesus that every single person in this room will one day stand before. It will be Jesus that dispenses out rewards to the believers, and it will be Jesus that will ultimately tell an unbeliever, depart from me, for I never knew you. You and I will not be the final judge. Thank goodness, right? We will not be the final judge, but we are the agents that Jesus has placed on this earth to help point people toward a righteous lifestyle. We are not only, we, we are um, to do this not in a condemning way, but in a loving way. We are the agents. We are God's ambassadors that he has set apart at the moment of our salvation to point people to Jesus so that they can be reconciled to God. Now, I've shared this illustration with you before, but we're going to focus on just one aspect of it. Just, but by, um, by review, when you share the plan of salvation, there's the hand illustration that I've used before. And if you recall, the thumb represents the good life. What is it that Jesus wants all of us in this room to experience? The good life, isn't it? John 10, 10 says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. And he wants us to experience life abundantly to the full. So when we're sharing the plan of salvation with another person, what we want to share with them is the good news of salvation. We want them to know that there is so much more um, than just this world. There is an afterlife. And that is where Jesus dwells. That is where God the Father dwells. That's where the Holy Spirit is. And we're to share that with other people. And then, so we point out that we want people to experience a good life, but we also um, must come to the point where we address sin with another person as well. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and the way that we're reminded of a person's sin is uh, when we're walking through this is the pointer finger. You know, we've all had the pointer finger pointed at us, right? Probably our mamas and our daddies when we were growing up pointed that finger at us and said, son or daughter, 
I'm about to whatever you. You know, you remember that man getting scolded with that finger? And when we're sharing the plan of salvation with another person, we do need to address sin with them because it is their sin nature that separates them from God. But we need to do this in a grace-filled way. When we point out a sin in another person's life, what we need to remember is there's three fingers pointing back at us. There's one pointing at them, and there's three that are pointing back at us. And when we address sin with another people, keep in mind that you too are a sinner. And it is only by grace for yourself that you've been saved. And then you come to the, 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 the middle finger, and for most of us in this room, the middle finger stands above the rest. That represents that Jesus Christ came, and he died on the cross for our sins, and he stood above every other man that, and woman that's ever walked the face of this earth. Romans 5, 8 says that God demonstrated his love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then you come to the commitment ring finger. And what you do at this point is you want to lead a person to recognize, A, that they're a sinner, that they're in need of Christ, and also lead them so that they can be reconciled to their holy God. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So you want to lead a person at this point to recognize that it's only by them repenting of their sins and confessing Christ as Lord that they are able to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And the pinky finger represents the weak finger on your hand, and it represents God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourself, but it is gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. And so that's kind of the hand illustration. But what I wanted us to really kind of focus on this morning as we talk about judgment is that, that, that pointer finger. When you go to judge another person, do it in a grace-filled way because you too are a sinner. We're going to look at that in our next point when we, in, in just a moment. Um, we too once were on a collision course with hell. It's only by grace that we have been saved. Our second sub-point this morning is this, judge clearly. In verses four, or 3 through 5, we read this, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eyes. There is some judgment that is prohibited, and that is a self-righteous judgment. I can't help but believe that as um, Jesus shared this um, statement with his disciples, I can't help but believe that they smiled a little bit at Jesus' sarcasm. Because you and I know that it is absolutely impossible for a log to be in a person's eye. And especially for a log to be in a person's eye and us be able to see into another person's eye. Um, That log in our own eye represents our own sin nature. And the speck that is another person's eye represents their sin nature. We must remember as we pass judgment upon others that we too are sinners. Once again, that pointer finger. There's three fingers that are pointing back at us. So what is Jesus instructing here? He warns the disciples against judging their brothers until they themselves have taken care of their own sin in their own lives. In the Old Testament, we read of an account when the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to David to confront David 
over his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of her husband, Uriah. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 1 through 7, we read this. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, and the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, um, there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing. And because he had no pity, Nathan said to David, you are the man. David was blinded by his own self-righteousness. How often are you and I also blinded by our own self-righteousness? How often do you and I question our brothers and sisters in Christ? How often do we question them because of the home's that they live in. We think they're either too big or they're too small. Or we question them because of the cars that they drive. We think they're too fast or too slow or too new or too old. We question them because of the clothes that they wear or the haircuts that they have or the lack thereof of hair that they have. The way they raise their kids, we often question people. Or we question as believers the way that people choose to educate their children. Or the way a person looks, we question them because we think they're too big or they're too tall or they don't wear enough makeup or whether they wear too much makeup. The list goes on and on. You and I are not to lord over other believers. We are to demonstrate love and compassion and we are to provide support when we correct another person. Um, there once was a married man who, who went to a marriage conference alone. First of all, never go to a marriage conference alone if you are a man, okay? Um, because apparently you pick up things. Um, this man goes to the marriage conference, and as he's at the marriage conference, he learns a great deal about himself, and he also learns a great deal about his wife. And, and he comes home, and, and his wife says, well, how was the conference? And the man turns to her, to her, and he says, babe, I realize that there's three things that I need to work on, and I'm going to work on those things. But I also realize that there's 17 things that you need to work on. Do you mind if I share those with you now? Let us be careful when it comes to judging others. Let us not be self-righteous, but let us take the loving approach. Notice our next subpoint: judge unbelievers wisely. In Matthew 7, 6, we read, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. After Jesus warns us against passing judgment and having a self-righteous attitude, he reminds us that not everyone is going going to be receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Both dogs and pigs during Jesus's days were unclean and they were scavengers. A dog was not like Fido that you have at your home. It was not man's best friend back in the first century. They were scavengers. They were mean. They would attack you. 
So what we need to be aware of is that you and I need to be careful when we judge others. But we also need to be very discerning. You know, I've shared the gospel with many, many people. And many have trusted Jesus, but probably many more have chosen to reject Jesus. So what are you and I to do when someone rejects Jesus? This pearl, a pearl was more valuable than a diamond was during the first century. The pearl represents the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is telling us here is be careful where you cast your pearls because there are hypocrites that are out there. There are Pharisees that are out there. There are Gentiles that are out there. There are religious leaders that are out there and they just want to trample on you. They want to use you as a doormat. So when it comes to sharing the good news of salvation with those that we come in contact with, we need to be very careful that, that we do not allow this world to step on us and to push us around. We, we, we must love others. We must demonstrate grace with others. We are to point people to Jesus but we need to realize that not everybody is going to be receptive to the good news of salvation. We don't just cast them away, but there are times that we need to move on and invest our energy into other people. Notice point number two this morning. It is this, pray for wisdom. In James 1, 5, we read, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and, will, and it will be given him. If there is anything that you and I need more of, it is probably wisdom. I know it is what I need more of. I need more wisdom. The Lord once granted King Solomon anything that he wanted. King Solomon could have asked for money. He could have asked for power. He could have asked for fame. He could have asked for anything under the sun, but he didn't. Notice what he asked for in 2 Chronicles 1.10. Solomon said, give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and come in before the people. For, we, for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great? You and I can learn much from Solomon's humility here. We can also learn much when it comes to praying as we are instructed to do in this passage of Scripture. Wise people pray with persistence. Verses 7 and 8, we read, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What does Jesus tell us to do here? Ask, seek, and knock. I came across this one illustration that says prayer is like asking in that we simply make our request known to God. And we have this promise that receiving is the reward for asking. Prayer is like seeking after the will of God for our lives. We seek his word and his will, and we are promised that finding is the reward of seeking. Prayer is like knocking until the door is open and we seek entrance into the great throne room of our God and our great King. Entering through the open door into God's heavenly palace is the reward of knocking and it is the best reward of all. Adam Clark in his commentary on Matthew wrote, Ask with confidence and humility. Seek with care and application. Knock with earnestness 
and perseverance. We are to be persistent when we pray. We are to ask and we are to seek and we are to knock. There is a door and we know that doors are intended to be open, right? Knowing that doors are intended to be open and the Lord wants to answer the prayers of his children. Notice our next sub point, wise people pray knowing God is a good gift giver. Verses 9 through 11 we read, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Seven times between Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, and verse 11, Jesus tells us that he will answer our prayers. Number one, ask and it will be given to you. Number two, seek and you will find. Three, knock and it will be opened to you. Four, for everyone who asks, receives. Five, the one who seeks, finds. Six, the one who knocks, it will be opened. Seven, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You know, one of the songs that we sing here, and you've heard it on the radio over the past several years, is the song, Good, Good Father. You and I serve a good, good father who wants to answer the prayers of his children. Know this, though, that God is not going to answer our self-righteous prayers. He is only going to give us things that will benefit us, not harm us. Just like you as a parent give good things to your children, you don't give bad things to your children. The same is true for God. God will give us what it is that we need, not just the things that we think we need or the things that we just want. We need to be careful when we pray that we do not turn God into a genie who dwells within a bottle that we can summon at our request. God is not contained in a bottle. God will give us the things that we need, not the things that we want. We serve a God who wants to give us everything that is good for us, which means he will not give us what he deems as being not good. In conclusion this morning, we're going to come back and and focus on point number three next week. But but this verse, I just want to read it to you again. Um, But it's a rule for all seasons is a point because I know some of you just cannot leave here if you have a blank space in in your bulletin. But a rule for all seasons, also known as the golden rule, says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Concluding this message this morning, Jesus has instructed us to judge others with discernment to pray for wisdom with persistence and knowing that our God is a good, good father who wants to give you and I good gifts. Not only that, but you and I need to be the most loving people on the planet, don't we? We need to be people that love others. We don't need to be condemning toward others. We need to be men and women that lift others up point them to Jesus, provide correction when correction is needed, but do it in the most loving way possible. Billy Graham um, 
this is an illustration that I came across many, many years ago that he shared. It goes like this. When Warren Candler was a young man practicing law, he defended a man accused of murder. The young man, the young lawyer went all out in his effort to clear his client of the charge. There were some extenuating circumstances, and Candler made the most of his plea before the judge and the jury. Also, the aged father and mother of the defendant were in the court, and the young lawyer moved on the sympathies and emotions of the jury by frequent referencing, by, by referencing his God-fearing parents. In due course, the jury reached a verdict, not guilty. The young lawyer himself, a Christian, had a serious talk with his cleared client. He warned him to steer clear of evil ways and to trust God's power to keep him straight. Years passed. Again, the man was brought into court. Again, the charge was murder. Candler, the lawyer who had defended him at his first trial, was now the judge on the bench. At the conclusion of the trial, the jury rendered its verdict guilty. Ordering the condemned man to stand for sentencing, Judge Candler said, At your first trial, I was your lawyer. Today I am your judge. The verdict of the jury makes it mandatory for me to sentence you to be hanged by the neck until you're dead. Today, Christ is our lawyer, pleading on our behalf. He is our Savior, willing to forgive and cleanse and forget our sins. However, there is coming a fearful day when he will be the judge. Are you prepared to meet God this morning? The prophet Amos, in warning the people of judgment in his day, used the expression, prepare to meet your God. Are you prepared to meet God at the judgment? Because you see, we don't have very much longer to live. There is coming a day when every single one of us in this room will take our final breath. And at that moment, We will either be in the very presence of God the Father or we will be separated from God the Father in a real, literal place called hell. If you are here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to turn to Jesus, to repent of your sins, ask him to forgive you of those sins, and make a commitment that you're going to follow after him as the Lord and Savior of your life. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. You may be here this morning, and you've been visiting this faith family for a while, and and you feel led to be a part of this church family. You feel led to be a part of this body of believers. We invite you this morning to come and to, to be a member of this church. You may be here this morning, and this morning we had the privilege of baptizing, or I had the privilege of, of baptizing Denise. And, and you may realize this morning that you've never been baptized. You've trusted Christ as your Savior, but you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. Or you may have gotten your baptism on the wrong side of your salvation. You may have, um, when you were five or six years old, you may have gone to a vacation Bible school or a kid's camp and, and you prayed a prayer then, but you realize that is not when I really became a Christian, even though you were baptized after that. But you didn't really become a Christian until later on in life. And so your baptism is on the wrong side of your salvation. If you need to come this morning and say, hey, that's me. My baptism is on the wrong side of my salvation. I want to come this morning. I want to follow the Lord and believer's baptism. We'd love for you to do that as well this morning. Let's stand together. I'm going to pray.
And at the conclusion of this prayer, I'm going to say amen. If there's a decision you need to make, you come. You come. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Father, as we have um, addressed this very difficult subject on judging others, Lord, I pray, Father, that you have used this message to speak to each one of our hearts. Father, may we not sit back and watch our world fall apart because of the um, wickedness that is within it. But, Father, um, may we boldly go and present the good news of salvation amongst this lost and dying world. May we do it in a loving way, in an encouraging way, in an uplifting way, not in a critical way, Father. Lord, this morning, if there's someone here that does not have a relationship with you, may today be the day that they turn and trust you as their Lord and Savior and repent of their sins. If there's some here this morning that need to come and join this church, we invite them to come. Lord, if there's some here this morning that need to get their baptism on the right side of their salvation or they've never been baptized, Lord, we invite them to come as well. Just move now during our time of invitation. First, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.